0: Hello, episode 14 of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Greetings, Internet. I am Jay Goldberg. Hope everybody had a good weekend. Um, this week, we're going to talk about a a subject that we both did some some market work on recently, so it's it's top of mind, but it fits into the broader category that honestly doesn't get talked about as, as much Um internet of things and specifically the world the marvelous world of sensors is the uh is the little colorful verbiage um I like to use but you know one thing that hits me is interesting you know we haven't seen the and I'm, I'm blanking on when this was maybe it was late late teen 2000s or whatever there was the whole there's gonna be 30 billion connected devices by 2025 right those those giant forecasts of, of IOT. And that happened for a couple of years. And now we don't hear anything about IOT forecasts anymore or billions of connected devices. Yet we are actually accelerating this move from analog to digital and things that were not connected are becoming connected right at scale. Um, so I, I think it's interesting, right. But in, in, in kind of my, my grand thesis is there's, there's, there's two, IOT markets there's the penny processor really really high volume but not big ASP types of products which we'll talk about today because it's it's actually really interesting and large market and then there's the higher ASP so IOT products that might have computer vision um, audio video sensors um, temperature sensors scent sensors for you know whatever so, something that's a combined package. That might sit on a on a light pole, or or obviously an automotive. If we consider IoT and that, so things that have high compute. So, there, so there's two markets, right? There's the high high uh, vol or low volume kind of high higher margin, high cost, so premium IoT, and then there's the big scale part of that market where we're still seeing a lot of a lot of sensor work um, still get fleshed out at a at a low power low power range. So that's kind of my my lobbed out uh, thesis I'm throwing at you.
1: <laughs> right. So I, I look at it differently. I don't think of it as two markets for IOT. I look at it as 30, 40, 50 different markets for IOT. Mm. Um, and and we just we, I think part of the reason everyone got excited about it was because of those big numbers. Uh, and but everyone assumed it would be one thing. It would be one compute platform. And we'd be able to have some economies of scale that would allow really interesting platform dynamics, and and that didn't develop. Uh, and so, uh, part of the sort of overall sort of, uh, I think people are just kind of tired of IoT. There's a lot of IoT fatigue, right? Yes. A- among in the industry, just because it was never it was never that you know tens of billions of market. It's lots of very fragmented niche segments where every industry and every use case is a little bit different. And so I, I wrote a post, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago called IOT is a mess. Mm. just talking about this. And I, I think that the problem isn't with the idea of connecting all these things. It's the idea of lumping them all into one big market. Right. Um, right. I like your approach of sort of saying some of these things need high compute, some of them need low compute. Uh, but I think it's even, it's even trickier than that. Uh, because, every IoT module out there is really a combination of three elements, right? You have you have some kind of sensor or, or actuator, like taking in real world data or doing something in the real world. You have some kind of decision making chip. And then you have connectivity. And within each of those categories, there's, you know, there's 20, I have a list of 25 different sensor types. And In terms of logic, I mean, it can be anything from a four-bit MCU microcontroller to you know Mm -hmm. a CPU, and then you know connectivity. There's another you know half dozen options there. So you do the combinatorics of that. Every use case is going to be some different combination, and it's like dozens and dozens, dozens, hundreds of use cases, uh, which which is hard for people like you and I to be analytical about. uh, But it's still. I, I still think the the overall trend is there. I think we're going to connect more and more physical objects. I actually I actually think it's going to be much bigger than people anticipated. I think it's ultimately we're going to measure it in trillions of devices. Sure, right? Trillions yeah. of, of objects. I'm going to call it because at some point, you know, we're getting to the point where you can have you can buy a Bluetooth tag for twenty five cents, right? It's basically an adhesive, disposable. At that point, it's disposable, so you can start putting it on. Maybe not an individual can of soda, but certainly a you know a 12 pack. Right. And you start going going down that path, there's lots of gains we can we can generate, a lot of value in that by tying all those all that data into the to software. Yeah. It, it's just gonna take a while and it's kind of messy in the process, but it's it's it is massive. We just have to think about it differently.
0: Yeah. No, I totally agree on the trillions number. In fact, there was a a conversation around this I was having um, at, a, at a VC trend present presentation I was giving with, with partners where I had said, you know, that this, this will actually be trillions, not billions. And, you know, it took a while to flesh that out. But, but when you take that approach of, of basically saying, and I think this is an interesting question relative to this, what, well, what won't be connected? Right? It's not a matter of what will be connected, like what won't be connected. And if you recall, right, there was a, around this time that, that IoT was being spun out into this large number, we had things like we were having these beacons discussion. You, know, you could make these really low-power beacons, stick them on anything. They transmit every little bit, either at a retail store or in oil or gas or whatever. And it didn't need to necessarily be persistently connected. It was just basically giving an update of something right what the pressure was of that system or and part of that was just because battery you know technology was lagging then it was hard to have something that was connected but they were really cheap to make right or i remember seeing in a a demo of printable rfid tags you know like you could print these things in mass scales of this paper on this printer and take them out and and stick them on and it was just a little you know connected scannable rfid tag and you know to the degree that we say that that's connected the point is there's lots of analog objects in this this long arc of time from analog to digital that everything becomes connected. It's just a matter of what does that system look like? How is it transmitting data? What's the backend infrastructure that you're collecting on that data? You know, all those interesting questions. But there's inevitable value as things become connected to product companies, You know, retail, anybody, right? Great. Right. Right, it just there's
1: it's it, it, it's it's massive. It's gonna, but it's gonna come in fits and starts, as different categories, different industries adopt solutions. It's part yeah. of you know digital transformation at companies. That's a term I don't love, but right. as companies become more and more digital, you know there's there's lots of value out there that we can tap into as the economics on the on the IoT part of it, the connectivity part of it improves.
0: Right. Well, and I think the the, the the term digital transformation gets you know used fairly liberally, but the point is is that as a company goes through that process, that's when they start saying, well, maybe more of my pressure sensors on my oil oil rig should have some form of transmit data, so I don't need a human walking around every you know on the hour with a with a with a with a a, a paper you know checkboard, um, you know, and all those different decisions that they're making to connect parts of their infrastructure that was unconnected. I mean, again, right, you you have to first go through some form of digital transformation to even make that leap. So it's a necessary first step, which is why I think it's interesting, right? If you believe that COVID rushed forward some form of digital transformation, that that's kind of why I think these conversations are, are coming up again. And a lot of companies in the semiconductor supply chains are seeing these low power sensors, these small microcontrollers. Start to take shape again because you've got you're trying to solve some of these problems that are now being asked now that a company has gone through a much more digitization of, of many of their processes.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I, I think I think that that's on the sort of customer side. I think there's some big changes on the product side as well that are going to be really important. Um, you know, I, I years ago I, I talked to I was involved in a pitch to. Somebody who makes, i I'd say, a General Electric, right? Who makes big power, big big turbines, right? You know the windmills, right? And uh, I think he was the CTO of that unit or some, something like that. And and we were trying to make an IoT pitch to him, and he said, "Oh, you know, we're going to help you collect all your data." And he's like, "Guys, we already collect all our data. Ninety nine point nine percent of it is useless, right? right. It's that point one percent, and like I'm, I, you know, that's that's those are my economics. But what's happened now is the cost of producing some of these systems and the precision you can get for a much lower cost have improved dramatically to the point where it's starting to, that equation is starting to work out for even, you know, you you don't have to spend tens of millions of dollars to build out an IoT system anymore. Right. It's suddenly worth it to collect that 0.1% of data that's valuable. Right.
0: Right. Well, and another thing I, I had mentioned a couple of episodes back I think is interesting is you know, the, the glut of call it semiconductor inventory that came out of the supply constraints we had in that industry actually brought lower costs from a lot of manufacturers who were all of a sudden like, hey, I've got all this volume. Now I need to figure out what to do with it and go in and start to find these applications. So it became more cost effective, right, to go and do these things.
1: And I, I think that's going to that's gonna accelerate. I was I was actually doing a project recently looking at analog capacity. And uh, there's a lot of capacity coming on online soon. Like, you know, there, there is, it's all, it's, it's uneven, but there's a lot of analog capacity that was, people started big, making big plans two years ago. They're still committed to those improvements. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of analog capacity out there. And it's going to be really old, mature processes, 200 millimeter wafer stuff, like old product, old process. That's going to be really good for very, very cheap things.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, I, I agree. And and I think part of that part of that too is just coming out of a lot of companies now starting to see this as, or a lot of foundries starting to see, to see this opportunity as, um, you know, a way to keep monetizing their 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 legacy edge stuff. That's that's you know the products that were on those really small late you know processes, um, really late stage are now moving up to you know. 28 nanometer or 22, right? Something, something a little bit more dense. So you have all this extra right capacity coming on and you've got a lot of those in, in China, right? Same way. A lot of, a lot of trailing edge in China looking for those applications. So if you're a, a Honeywell, right, who does a lot of these kind of low, low sensor things or others who are like, Hey, we can now, now really start to attack this market. We identified five years ago and the economics are good for it. Oh, and by the way, they've got a way to analyze that data. Then, you know, that becomes an interesting path to, but it's just like my, 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 point is like, this is all really interesting. You see these things happen at the supply chain and component level, but they don't really get talked about because it's not as sexy as like smart home, for example, or, you know, something that a consumer can appreciate, but but you, the, you Chevron, you know, you, whoever who's, who's doing more of this on your rigs or you construction company, it's really valuable right to your operating business. Right. But- So uh, we've been working on this thesis
1: around sensors where we think there's sort of three big things that have changed in the last few years. One is the the cost and capabilities of sensors have improved pretty radically. Mm. Uh, And and that's largely just tied to the improvements that we see in semiconductor manufacturing overall and cost curves coming down for some trailing edge things. So you can suddenly, we're, we're capable of manufacturing things, of fitting things into the semiconductor manufacturing stream. Add a tool, and suddenly you can make these incredible sensors for very, very cheap. But the economies of scale of the foundry ecosystem, plus sort of some advanced capabilities, you suddenly have really, really high-performance, high-spec filter sensors that are capable of doing things and are affordable. Like they're not hundred-dollar sensors; they're you know a few dollars, thirty cents. You can much more capable than you know just a generation ago. So I think that's been a big change. Um, the other thing that's changed is on the software side. Suddenly, we can start to use that data in much more meaningful ways, right? Yeah. And this, you know, we we, could, we just call this AI, but sort of advances in software overall have made that data more useful. And so, I imagine that you know GE, someone like GE, probably gets more than point 0.1% of value out of their data. Uh, they're able to to manipulate that data and mine it a lot better. Uh, and so that makes it so you have you have supply and demand both improving. Product and usage both improving pretty remarkably just in the last few years, and then uh, and then on, on top of all that, I think the 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 big change has been the you know the new sensor companies that are coming up, of which there are a lot, have learned the lessons of the industry and seen like it's not just about selling a, a single sensor. What we really want to do is sell a service or sell a solution, and because some of these sensors are so capable, they're able to do a, a broader sale. They're able to, you know, capture more of the value of the sale, uh, which I think is going to be really, really important for, you know, because I, I think when, when you and I were coming up, sensors were an afterthought. They were sort of, you know, they were a commodity. Nobody really thought about them. We'll just we'll just get the cheapest ones we can from Korea or Taiwan. And, and now we're talking about some really, really cutting edge sensors that are, um, that are performant and powerful in their own right. But because the, companies that make them have wider revenue streams. They're able to, you know, maintain funding and keep the R and D going so they, that they don't end up as a commodity. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I'm, I'm working with one company and I don't want to name them, but they make these incredibly high precision position and voltage sensors. They use mag- magnets, right? Really, really advanced magnets. They don't cost a lot to produce, but they, uh, they're, they're, much more sensitive than anything else that's out there by, you know, order of magnitude and like they're, you know, and we've done a competitive analysis on them. They're the only ones who can make this. They have some IP. They also have a pretty big lead in manufacturing, right? That, you know, I don't want to call them monopoly, but they're, the, they're really the only supplier of these really advanced affordable filter uh, sensors. But by comparison, there are twelve companies making CPUs today, right? Right. At least, right. So, which one of those is the commodity? Right. Sensors aren't a commodity anymore, not the really right. good ones.
0: Right. And I think that's that's like, to me, that's kind of like mind blown. Yeah. Well, and I think the just the the amount of time right that's passed right to, to some degree, you, you know, obviously, COVID did a disservice because it it focused the foundries and product companies on very specific things but like you said because that technology got better it got you know more efficient it got it got able to handle lower power so things that that might need more you know to live in a field for three or four years on a small coin battery can do so now and that but that wasn't the case right five or six years ago we were talking about these whatever it was 25 billion connected devices by 2025 or or whatever and so you could see how this market opportunity is really shaping up which i think is interesting and that's why I think you're starting to see more more momentum here, if you will, across the board, right? Pressure sensors, air sensors, temperature sensors, you know, everything is now starting to be like, hey, we're, we're doing volume again. There's interesting in our products. You've got, you know, NXP, you've got TI, you've got Infineon, all these people now starting to say, we're seeing momentum back in this category. But yet, you know, you still just don't hear a lot about IoT being talked about.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I actually think that the pandemic helped in other ways because, I, I've talked to a few companies who were able to accelerate their sensor network deployments, their IoT deployments during the pandemic because everything else was locked down. So it was much easier oh. for them to get access to all the places right. they need the sensors. Right. Yeah, and, and so those those are still older older tech back, you know, twenty twenty. But it 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 sort of reinvigorated everybody's interest in viability it's it's still out there and they were able to move on that and execute on their plans and that sort of yeah. moves things forward
0: as always parts of these discussions it's interesting to talk about a uh, a architecture point um, i know that that not everything is is arm based but there is alarm, a lot of arm conversation around iot but even arm itself when they talk about the iot market they're like eh, it's you know lower high volume but lower price so, so what's your thoughts on maybe more of this starting to take shape around Risk Five, or or Risk Five even starting to enable some more of this? Um, you know, perhaps in ways that that uh, that might not have existed before before a open source architecture existed.
1: Oh, hundred percent, This, I mean, Arm doesn't want to talk about IoT because I think they've they've lost big big chunks of that market already. It's I, I think anything. It, the, you know, embedded what we used to call embedded systems that go on other machines, IoT, simple sensors, low-end sensors, cheap stuff. That that's heavily going to be, that's heavily going to be a risk five. There's no question about that. Certainly, mm. all the companies in this in China that are building to this market are on risk five, mm. uh, and and anybody new coming into the market now is is likely to go down that path as well. I think it gets a little tricky though, because for a lot of these things, you don't really need a- any architecture. You Right. Just, right. You need a microcontroller. Right. Um, but there's going to be a big category where you can just throw in some cheap digital logic because you have a Risk Five core in there. Uh, right. I I think there's another architecture question though that we sort of need to sort of address, and I I, I was I've been working on this a little bit in the context of automotive you know we you and i talked about automotive last last week i think where in in a car and i think this holds for other industrial iot systems as well you're going to have a lot of sensors right you're going to have in, in a car you have speed and lidar and sonar and radar and all that stuff in industrial systems or you know yeah you know pipelines you can have temperature and pressure lots of different sensors right the question is then you, you we're going to need some kind of uh, sensor hub or sensor fusion system. And there's a, there's a good debate right now about whether or not that will be a, something like a true processor or will it just be a microcontroller? We, right. can, we can sort of Google about the definitions of those. Uh, but there's a, there's a good argument to be made that be, uh, because of a lot of things I talked about before, about who's really c- controlling the value here, you don't necessarily need a, a full blown, you know, CPU for a system or CPU for a car. Uh, there's a good argument that we can make do with a lot less and and i I don't know the answer to this i think you know it's obviously going to be a little of both but there is a a pretty big category of of devices here where you don't need a processor and you may never need that but if there is a processor chances are pretty good it's gonna be risk five
0: yeah so so that brings up an interesting question i mean I, I've talked to a, and this just might might be by nature of the the types of companies that reach out to me and that I have conversations with. But the vast majority of of risk five companies I've talked to are are trying to solve really heavy compute problems. You know, not not some of these small things. And I know you made the point about China, but I'm not seeing you know a, a U.S. company right or a, or, a, or a startup come in and say, "Hey, you know, we've got." Uh, We've got this platform. So so I'm curious, right? do you think that's something that like Cypress does or um, TI does or NXP or Infineon, like the companies who are traditional, do they say, hey, we're going to do this for the RISC-V because one, it's something we can proprietarily do our own. So it's not a an ARM architecture core or some small commodity off the shelf from a vendor. It's something we can do. Or, or will it be more, more startups? What's your, what's your thoughts on that path? So, so I it's, it's interesting the the hottest chip right
1: now in automotive is is not Qualcomm and, and Qualcomm's doing really well in automotive, but that's kind of a long-term roadmap. The hottest chip at the moment in automotive is an 8bit TI microcontroller right? And it, they've added a little bit of digital they've added some digital logic to it. So, it can run very basic AI functions. And there are a lot of auto companies who really are thirsting over that exact product because it's Mm. right for, for, you know, they have their reasons. You know, long term, I think the automotive sector, like we talked about, favors Qualcomm. That'll be a bigger processor. But for industrial systems, like having, having, a lot of it's analog. So you want to go with an analog company and then throw on a little bit of digital. Right. The big question everybody has though is, so TI is an eight bit controller. What happens when we go to 16 or 32? Right? Um, right. Analog companies in general don't have great digital skills. Right. And so I think for some of the traditional big analog players, TI, ADI, on, They'll have a market, they'll have a big market to go after, which is adding a digital core next to an ADI to a to a controller. But once things get a little bit bigger, once you start adding more digital, it gets tricky for them. So I I don't know. I mean, I, I actually worked at a you know a quasi-analog company for many years. And whenever we'd have some we'd have product planning meetings. And we'd say, okay, now we need to add some digital logic to this. And the, and the head of engineering would say, well, wait, who's going to do that? And who's going to, you know, do the actual digital work? And they'd always say, oh, get Digital Dave to do it. Digital right? Dave. There was, there, was, there was one guy at the company who, who had background in, in digital technology, right? And I think you know that, that's going to change, but it's going to it'll be a very very slow process.
0: For, yeah. For the right. To
1: add. I think the. In, in China, what we're mostly seeing are just very, very bare bones stuff. So, you know, somebody will be one, you know, small teams working analog products. They'll have a couple of people doing digital, they'll throw the risk five stuff on. The interesting part for me, though, is what are going to happen to the sort of the US sensor companies. And I think there are, you know, there's a, a few dozen that I can think of emerging, and they're all yeah. trying to figure out how to go through this. They're all trying mm. to do it, and I think it'll actually be easier for them because they're new and they're nimble, and it's easier for them to add digital capabilities um, fairly quickly, right? You right. Can add if you have a hundred people and you add twenty digital engineers, that's twenty percent of the workforce, right? Right. right. Adding twenty percent to TI's workforce is thousands of people. Yeah. Right? And it, it needs to be on that scale. And so it's, it's just going to be harder for the big companies to do it. And I think that the newer companies, you know, startups are more nimble by definition. And I think that's really where they're going to shine is taking analog capacities and pairing it with some basic digital processes and and building something more powerful.
0: Right. And and at the end, like, even though you said, you know, this is a, a highly, um, uh, a series of markets that are a series of markets. I think the the main point is it's it's a it's huge. It's a it's a huge market in terms of opportunity. Which to some degree, if it's that fragmented, will allow for more competition, perhaps even competition amongst variations of architecture, different parts of the software stack. You know, the other thing that I think is interesting is as companies perhaps start to embrace more of this generative AI stuff, it actually makes makes it a little bit easier for them to analyze or see value from all the data that they're collecting in real time from any number of parts of their ecosystem but that's like just happening right now so it's still kind of a long time or a couple you know years off i guess in terms of of overall timeline because some of this would maybe be on prem or hybrid cloud um but the point is is that that as we move to that market it actually makes even more sense for them to collect all this data, right? This, this massive amount of data that they have because it actually makes it easier for them to analyze. Right. I,
1: I think, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what to think about LLMs and GPT yet. I'm working on that, but I do think in general advances in AI, just that we've seen so far, yeah. we'll have two, two ways to play out here. Uh, one, one is like, like you were mentioning, like I talked about before is you'll have all this data from sensors. You can do more things with it. It'll be easier to peel that data apart. That's important. I also think it'll get easier to design these products. Right. That seems to be a big part of what's going on with generative generative AI right now. Is uh, supporting code de- code design, right? And 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 that I think that there are already plenty of people working on improving chip design using AI like tools. And I think that, that that's actually, I think, going to come sooner. I mean, we're, we've already seen a lot of EDA tools improve on this front, and I think we're going to see more of that fairly soon. Mm. I mean, I, so there's certainly an undercurrent of that in, uh, in, in
0: NVIDIA's GTC keynote. Right, right. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see, I think, how, how parts of that. I mean, you know, there's a lot of discussions around this whole, uh, LLMs and uh, you know ChatGPT, and I, I think though what's become clear is whether or not that's some some hybrid of your data and the the large models that are out there. the The bottom line is it's going to empower a lot of people in some way to make more sense of of the information that they get, which I think has been part of the problem. I I know from conversations we had with the ecosystem, even early on, who are starting to deploy wider um, IOT stuff, call it retail, um, you know, or others, they were like, look, I've got all this data, but what am I going to do? I've got to hire data scientists. I've got to run all this. They're like, that's, that was really expensive and to some degree overwhelming, you know, for a lot of companies because they just didn't know what to do with the data. That this might help with some of that, which I think is interesting, but it's again, I, I, I you know, as we talk through this, it just keeps hitting me. There's yes, we'll get there. I know. I, in my brain, my timeline wasn't like, oh, this happens next year anyway, but there's all these important pieces of the puzzle that have to line up to get us to this point where now implementing sensors, managing those sensors, gathering data from the sensors and being useful makes a lot of sense, right? So it's still just this progression of things that need to happen amongst a timeline. And then once you're there, absolutely, everything you can connect connect it because you've got the infrastructure to handle it. I agree.
1: I agree. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, 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 there's both sides of it. It's supply and demand. Um, yep. I was just, I just tried to get chat GPT to draw me a circuit diagram, but it doesn't do
0: pictures. But it's going to be a pretty <laughs> good,
1: good, pretty good description here.
0: Not yet, but at, at some, point. Um, at some point. Yeah. All right. IOT. So that was our, that was our thesis. We can, we can wrap on, on that and uh, leave more to talk about for, the coming uh, the coming months but thanks for listening everybody send your comments as usual and we will talk to you next week
1: bye everybody thank you